each of you here today. A real honor to be with you. So I want to bring two messages today, about 25 minutes each, just to unload as much as I possibly can. Uh, I worked real hard. Uh, when I was here in 2019, I preached one sermon about the way back to spiritual power. And, uh, and Sister Kathy prophesied to me the Lord was giving me a trumpet. Amen. And then not long after that, I got up one morning and I just, it was downloaded into me that God wanted me to write a book on spiritual leadership. And I never liked leadership books. They bored me. I just couldn't bond with them. Finally, I decided I wasn't a leader. I'd led many Many to Christ, many into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I didn't. I just didn't like leadership, and most of it is secularized. Most of it is techniques, how to lead people rather than how to know God. Amen. And uh, so, and the Lord told me to write a book on spiritual leadership. It just gushed out of me in eight days, and then it took about two years to get it. There's 63 drawings in here, and uh, it's carefully written. Um, I uh, I would love to have you guys use it. And as it is set up as a curriculum, so there's uh, five DVDs that all that can be downloaded from the internet where I'm teaching it. And then we have a teacher's guide and a student workbook. And the idea is to play about 15 minutes of me teaching, shut it off, and leave discussion, uh, uh, you know, and extra study from all, and, and prayer from all the material in the, in the teacher's guide. And then the student workbooks we just give away, or else you can download them for a dollar or two from the internet from our website. So I would be so honored if, if you, I'm talking to leaders here, but I think this is a real wonderful resource. Now, uh, uh, you may be here and uh, not consider yourself a spiritual leader. There might be just a few of you, most of you are. But I wrote this for the whole church because when I minister to a group and I speak mostly in churches, I always say, now I'm here to you are my fellow ministers, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. We're supposed to train the saints to do the work of the ministry. So I, I, you're my fellow minister, and I have to put their hand over their heart and say, I'm a minister too. And so this is for the whole body of Christ. It's written in a simple way, the way the Lord uses me to write. I do my best with his help to make profound truth easy to understand, easy to remember, real clear applications. And then... Uh, We've got 11,300 of these books into prisons. 21 Ways to Forgive is also a curriculum. If your ministry would like a quantity of these books, I've got about 60. I hate to pay the postage to ship them back to Oregon. So uh, there could be a $10 book. We sell them for five. That's already a 50% discount. But if you want to buy a bunch and be like a chaplain, you know, we let sponsors buy these for $2 over printing cost, which right now is $3.19. And uh, so if you wanted to be like a chaplain, and I trust you to be the chaplain and, and uh, give them away, uh, let's, let's work some deals, amen? <laughs> uh, no use reinventing the wheel. I've got a great tool for you here, amen, on forgiveness. It's a great curriculum. So that's some of the things we've done, and there's new tracks out there. And uh, Lord, put it on my heart to start a tract ministry. I love to give people printed messages. And uh, so check those out, and you can talk to me. Afterwards, I want to lead a little uh, chorus, teach a little chorus to you, and then we're going to get into two different messages. They both are in preparation to give us spiritual strategies so we get through the coming days just fine with the Lord's help. But I want to teach you this little worship song.
this little uh, Destiny one, two, there we go. This little song, uh, I'll just sing it once, then I'm going to feed you the words, and I want you to close your eyes, lift your hands, and we'll sing it to the Lord together. And those of you that are able to harmonize, I'd like to have you harmonize. We'll minister to the Lord here in just a little minute or two, a few minutes. So it goes like this. You and me together, life's a pleasure. Christ my Lord, you're everything to me. I'm an evangelist as well. But at any rate, I'm a 
noticed is that when when there's a prophecy regarding the future the prophetic application is every bit as important as the prophecy so when joseph interpreted pharaoh's dream he gave the interpretation there's going to be seven years of famine or seven years of abundance then there's going to be seven years of terrible famine and the famine will eat up everything that the abundant years that nobody will even remember the years of abundance now just if you just gave that prophecy it wouldn't mean that much if there wasn't a prophetic application and so then joseph gave a prophetic application and he said now pharaoh i counsel you to find some wise man that can gather 20 percent of the produce of the land for the good years and store it up in store cities so that when the famine comes you won't be decimated now see that was the the punch line so to speak amen the bottom line and so if we just know what's coming but we don't have a strategy from the holy spirit then what's coming could just fill us with fear if if joseph hadn't said what to do and he just said man this is after the seven years of abundance seven years of famine it's going to eat up everything it's going to be absolutely terrible well what would have that done that would have just filled people with fear so um i want to tell you just a little bit about what's coming uh my wife had a and i it takes a long time to get it up on my phone because it was september 23rd but she was praying and praying in tongues and all of a sudden the holy spirit said drink 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 and she said he just kept saying that drink 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 she said it really got my attention and he kept saying drink 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 and then he said a traumatic tumultuous times are coming and and so i want you to drink deeply of my spirit and she didn't even know what tumultuous meant so the lord defined it for her as a very uncertain unpredictable chaos you know what tumultuous means but then then the lord said you'll you'll think maybe that you're going to fall but i'm not going to let you fall i'm going to be with you through it all right so with that in mind i want to bring you three strategies in the first sermon one in the last one you'll have four spiritual strategies all right now i want to read from malachi chapter 3 verse 13 uh, through chapter 4 verse 3 your words have been hard against me says the lord but you say how have we spoken against you you have said it is vain to serve god what is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the lord of hosts and now uh, we call the arrogant blessed evildoers not only prosper but they put god to the test and escape now, god didn't like to hear that then those who feared the lord spoke with one another the lord paid attention and heard them and he liked what he heard because a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Evidently, they were talking about how great his names were, how great he was. And he said, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. And once more, you'll see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Now, forest fires usually burn the branches off, but they don't uh, burn up the roots. 
so that's a really hot fire but for you who fear my name the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings you shall go out leaping like cows from the stall and you shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act says the Lord now that was prophesied about 400 years before Jesus came and throughout history, there's been days and, and seasons and cycles of judgment where this is applied to some degree, amen, where uh, judgment came on the wicked and God would help the righteous. But I believe as we come to the, as we approach the return of Christ, that we'll find the, the total fulfillment of this. And we may be the generation that lives it out more than any other. And so uh, the hot fire oven time is coming. Uh, and so we want to say what God wants to hear right. so that the book of remembrance will be written. And he'll say, they shall be mine. And when that big judgment comes, I'm going to make my, them my jewels. And I'm going to spare them as my very own child. Right. And then not only that, I'm going to let the uh, son of righteousness rise with healing in his wings yeah. on them. Yeah. And when the other people are burning up and being destroyed, they're going to go jumping and leaping like you know, you let a cat out of the stall, they go bucking for joy. How many want to buck for joy, amen, yeah. and uh, jump for joy? All right. Now, I experienced, uh, I was uh, sitting at a table with uh, a guy named Harold Wallace, who was a real prophet and uh, had the gift of miracles in his ministry. And it was in Albemarle, North Carolina. We just got to talking about how great the Lord was. And uh, he started telling a miracle story. I'd tell a miracle story. He'd tell one. I'd tell one. We went on for three hours. We didn't just use our own stories. We told any stories we'd heard. We were just glorying in, the, in God. And we weren't trying to top each other's stories. We were just, and we just delighted in the Lord. And after that was over, I thought, you know what? I think we got into that scripture. I think the Lord liked what he was hearing. I think he came and wrote that down. And since then, then, when I get with other Christians, we can talk about politics, how bad things are, uh, what stupid things they're doing, how bad it will be when it's done. And that's not the kind of thing that brings the Lord. Uh, we can talk about those things. We can talk about football, what football team is winning and all that kind of stuff. But that's not what brings the Lord. When, when we start talking about all of God's wonderful miracles and how great God is, that's when he comes. And so this is a strategy. We want to talk miracles. We don't want to talk fear. We don't want to talk unbelief. We don't want to talk complaining. And we want to get this deep in us because every time we get together, the, the Lord will, will the Lord listen? Will the Lord hear? Will the Lord be pleased? Will the Lord record it? Will the Lord say they're going to be mine? Hallelujah! And the day when I make up my jewels, I'm going to spare them, and I'm going to get this. Son of righteousness going to rise on him, healing in his wings. They're going to go jumping and bucking. Wow, how many of you think we better talk right then? Amen. When we get together. So let me tell you a couple of miracle stories. Harold Wallace said one day he was praying, and the Lord spoke to him and said, I want you to go to Canada from Albemarle, North Carolina. Here's the address of the lady. Here's her name. I want you to knock on the door. As soon as she answers the door, I want you to say, uh, Ma'am, my name is Harold Wallace. And you call her by name and say, I, uh, the Lord was uh, talking to me back in Carolina. He told me to come up here and knock on your door and ask you to give me $1,000 for my ministry. And so he, uh, the Lord told him that. He thought, this is really strange. But he got a man to go with him. So they got up there and there was a little shack. So he knocks on the door. The lady comes to the door. He calls her by name. says, ma'am, I'm Harold Wallace. I was in prayer. The Lord 
gave me your name and address, told me to come up here, ask you for $1,000 for my ministry. She said, come on in. I'll give you $1,000 for your ministry. And so she sat down on a little ragged old couch there. She went in her bedroom, came out with a huge wad of cash. They were astounded. They said, ma'am, don't you think you ought to put all that money in the bank? You're just in this little, little shack here without any security. And she says, if I do, I can't watch God multiply it. She said, I live on a fixed income, and I cash my little check, and I spread it out on the coffee table, and I pray over it, and God multiplies the money, and I support eight ministries at $1,000 a month. But she said, I began to wonder if this was legal, you know, or if God really wanted me to keep doing this. So I asked God to confirm it by sending someone from far away who wouldn't know me, who would knock on my door, and immediately ask me for $1,000. We're talking about the Lord's name, Jehovah Jireh. Hallelujah. Amen. So I took that story and I talked it to the doctor who was in charge of the Sons of God uh, trip that they were going to take a medical missions trip from that first assembly of God in Albemarle. And they invited me to go along on that. So while we were on that mission trip to New Delhi, India, uh, we were doing uh, medical clinics for kids that were in Christian schools, but they lived in slums. And they bought, brought the parents, and they used up all the medicine too fast and had to take their uh, hotel money and some of their food money and go buy more medicine. So he came to me near the end of the trip and says, we're in a mess. Uh, uh, you know, we've had to buy so much extra medicine. I don't have enough money in this envelope to pay our expenses for the hotel and our food. Two, two of our members didn't pay what they were supposed to pay. And so uh, I want you to take this envelope, Wes, and pray over it and ask God to multiply the money. So I took the envelope. <laughs> And I said, dear Lord, as far as I know, this doctor has done everything he could possibly do to take it as far as he could take it. He didn't know that the kids would bring so many parents. They brought all the medicine they could bring on the airplanes. So now, God, we ask you to take it the next step. And we ask you to pay all the bills out of this envelope. And Lord, I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. I gave the envelope back. I didn't look in it to see how much was in there. I didn't look at it at all. I didn't hear what happened until we got back from our trip. And uh, at the end of the trip, he had paid all the bills out of the envelope. There was still money left in there, and he wanted to give it to the pastor and his wife that oversaw those schools. And as he would give her the money, there would be more in the envelope. And then he kept giving it to her, and he kept giving it to her until she had a lot of money so big she couldn't get it in her purse. And that's an example of miracle stories. I'm going to give you one more, see, because you all have miracle stories. You all have miracle stories. It would be delightful to hear your story, and we can spread these stories. Because and if we talk about how great God is, He listens, right. He hears. Right. It's good for us. Miracles spread. They're just like catching. You know, we, we don't want to catch a cold. We don't catch a flu. We want to catch a miracle. Wave your hand to God and say, "I want to catch a miracle." Hallelujah. Amen. Well, I was with the. Uh, Some pastors from a little tiny church in Myrtle Creek, Oregon, Dave and Nancy Edwards. And we were having lunch, and he said, One time we went on a trip in our van, and as we got into eastern Oregon, the radiator overheated, and we lost all the coolant out of the radiator. So I took out the thermostat because the thermostat was bad. And then we needed to add some water, but it was a drought, and they had all the water faucets locked. We walked up to a farmhouse with nobody there. It's a water faucet that had a padlock on it. We went to a restaurant to get water that wouldn't give us any water. And uh, finally, there was nothing we could do. We couldn't get a drop of water, so there was only a tiny little bit left in the radiator. And we just said, dear Lord, help us in Jesus' name. 
He said, I start the van and I start to drive. The gauge stayed on cool. Pretty soon I turned on the air conditioner. Cold air came out. He said, I drove about 100 miles and I stopped. I was curious. And so I turned the radiator cap and this beautiful blue-green antifreeze came oozing out of the top of the radiator. So I tightened it. He said, we drove about 500 miles. When I got to my destination, I had to drain the radiator to put in a new thermostat. And he said, five gallons of that brand-new created antifreeze came out, but the radiator only held about three and a half gallons. So I said, I've got a radiator story. I've got a radiator miracle. How many know we need to trade these stories? I said, when I was a bus captain and overseeing a big bus ministry, one of the buses needed the radiator to be repaired. So I told the mechanics, take it into A1 radiator. When I signed up a bunch of bus kids, came back, that radiator was sitting in the hall with a note in it. It's all rusty, hadn't been repaired. West, this radiator is shot. It leaks along the bottom. A1 has another replacement for $100, but it's five and a half inches taller than the old one. Call if you have any questions, Jim. I knew that if I asked the pastor for $100, he'd say we've used up all of our money great running these buses and we don't have $100. But it was Friday. The bus had to run on Sunday. There'd be 50 kids on it. Out of 50 kids, five would be new. They'd all get saved the first Sunday. I just knew the bus had to run and I didn't have time to pray. As I walked into the office, the secretary leaped out of a chair. There's been a miracle. There's been a miracle. Jesus appeared to a man and told him to give you $100. She put a $100 check in my hand. So I cast the check. I went to A1 Radiator. I bought this brand new truck radiator. Same width. It was five and a half inches taller. Now, how many of you know a truck radiator doesn't just cost $100 even back then? It must have been two to $300. And uh, I told the mechanics put it in. They had to cut off a half an inch of angle iron bracing under the hood and that hood clipped down over that. And then two weeks later, so we ran the bus. Two weeks later, the man who had the vision of Jesus took me out to lunch. He lived 15 miles away, didn't know me from Adam. But one day he said, I was fixing a wood fire in my uh, in the warehouse, in the wood stove there in my warehouse. And I heard a voice behind me that said, kneel and pray. So I turned and I, as I turned, I saw a white robe. And I looked right up that white robe into the face of Jesus Christ. And Jesus stretched out his hand and said, I want you to take that $100 you got in the mail today and give it to Wes. He's in trouble with his buses. And he said, I began to cry. And I said, Lord, I don't know any Wes. And he said, Wes at Goshen. And he said, I cried all the harm. And he said, Lord, I don't know any Wes at Goshen. Jesus said, call Bob Kennedy, the Willamette Greystone. He'll know what to do. Jesus disappeared. Well, Willamette Greystone sells bricks. This man is a brick mason. So these two guys knew each other. He called him and said, Bob, get over here quick. Bob thought his wife must have died. So he rushed over there. And then they bawled and cried, you know, and wept about what Jesus had said. And and uh, finally, they remembered why he appeared, and he <laughs> drove the check out to the church and had barely left it and driven away. When I came in, and picked up the note. Plus, this radiator is shot. How many of you think that's a pretty good radiator? But that's not the end of the story. That's not the end. I ended up moving away and went to uh, Nebraska and then Chehalis, Oregon. And then finally, after about 22 years, I was back only five miles away from Goshen, a little town called Cresswell, and I pastored there uh, two years and 11 months. But then we had a smaller bus ministry. We'd bring kids in on Wednesday. And one of the vans had a radiator problem, so I took it to A1 Radiator. I said, how long have you been working here? He said, I've been here decades. I said, well, I wonder if you were here back in the 1970s when, when I told him the miracle radiator story how Jesus appeared. I went on my way. When I came back, he had put a brand new radiator in the van. I said, how much does I need to pay you for this? He said, this one's on the house. <laughs> so I got two miracle radiators. 
you know whether he gives you $100 or $40,000. Amen? If you don't have any money, $100 is a big miracle too. Amen? And uh, whatever the case, it's just wonderful to get fed from his hands. Now let's just, uh, so that's an example. Now when we get together for lunches and we're talking together, let's see how many miracle stories we can I got miracles. I store them up when I hear them from other people. Man. I, I've been reading T.L. Osborne's book, um, Heal, Healing the Sick. I'm full of other people's miracle stories, too. Man. Amen. All right, everybody know that's one strategy. We're going to talk about the Lord, how great he is. We have not say I'm going to lock that strategy in. We're going to talk miracles. We're not going to talk fear, worry, unbelief, because uh, he, uh, he can make antifreeze like he can make wine out of wine. He can make antifreeze out of air. My friend Pat Burgess prayed for someone. They said, pray for this lady in Pakistan. She, she's this little girl. She can't, she can't speak right. She don't go blah, blah, blah type of thing. He prayed for her. She spoke, spoke perfect Urdu, but she didn't have a tongue. How did she speak perfect Urdu without a tongue? It was a miracle. So then they said, pray for this lady. She can't see. Well, she didn't have any eyes, nose, no eyeballs. And besides, he prayed for her in Jesus' name. She said, I can see, I can see. She said, what color is my tie? She told him, what color is my suit? She told him, she could see everything. And God said, if I want you to see through your elbow, you see through your elbow. Now, God deserves all the praise. Let's lift our hands and just thank God. Thank God. All right, now the second strategy is... Uh, I was in North Carolina, and it was a prayer meeting before a Sunday night service, and the Lord spoke to me and said, I have one word for America. It's not destruction. It's disruption. I'm going to give America more time to repent, so I'm going to give America disruption. I perceived that it was going to be massive and affect every area. And then the Lord said, don't give me disruption. Now implied in his, and his tone was stern, fatherly, don't give me disruption. But implied was, if you don't give me disruption, I'll be with you in my presence and power and wisdom through the disruption. And everything will be fine as long as you don't give me disruption. And then scriptures began to come to me rapidly. Now, First uh, Thessalonians 5 16 through 18 is the scripture that says, uh, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, there's no disruption in that. Amen. God wants us rejoicing always and uh, praying daily in our daily prayer time. And then throughout the day, as God brings things to us, we can't pray. We have to think about other things and work, but to pray without ceasing means you're very consistent in your prayer life, amen? And you walk in tune with God, so that any time you can pray. And then, uh, in everything, give thanks. See, now the verse before that is really neat. Uh, I didn't have that one memorized, but it, but it says, always do good to each other and to everyone else, always. And then Revelation 22, 11, says, uh, let him who is righteous continue to be righteous, and let him who is holy continue to be holy. 
Later, I found a verse in Amos that says, let justice roll along like a river. Yeah. Righteousness like a never-ending stream. I mean, you know, the rivers don't take a break and stop for a little bit yeah. and run and stop. And so uh, this is a divine strategy. Now, it doesn't take very long to tell you the strategy, but you're all going to have to ask the Holy Spirit to help you do it. Because I believe we give, we, typical, typical of us, even of leaders, we give God some disruption. He said, Brother Wes, I'm perfect. I'm, I'm already there, man. I, I have arrived. I don't give God any disruption. I said, well, good for you. Pray for me. Amen. And I'm still working on that because I can find times when I don't feel like rejoicing. I mean, I do pretty good giving thanks and I'm pretty regular in my prayers. But to rejoice always, uh, well, I'm, I bear this in mind all the time. I'll be just fine if I don't give God disruption. Now, that may sound like a burden. And one day I was driving to preach in a little town, Vail, Oregon. And I was listening to the Bible. And the Bible says in Psalms 37, dwell in the land and, and embrace or make faithfulness your friend. Dwell in the land and, and uh, make faithfulness your friend. And I thought that's the way our attitude needs to be instead of, boy, it's a burden. i got to rejoice always. i got to pray without ceasing. No, <clears throat> faithfulness should be our friend. Oh, that's going to do me great good, right? This friend is going to be a really good friend. Now let's tell the Lord that we're not spiritual enough to avoid disruption without the Holy Spirit's help. Let's just close our hands. Lift our hands and let's just say, Lord, I'd like to be faithful like that. And I want your Holy Spirit to coach me help me. Oh, hallelujah to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Well, you'll find other scriptures that uh, will say basically the same thing. Uh, we, you know, like, pray in the Spirit on all occasions and always keep on praying for all the saints. You'll find those scriptures. Okay. Now, the third one is to practice hiding in God's secret place. So, you know, Psalms 91 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Those are two different things. The secret place is different than the shadow of the Almighty. If you want to be in the shadow of the Almighty, you've got to get in the secret place. And then you'll be so close to God. If He did, He doesn't cast shadows, so that's just poetic language. Amen. There's no shadow in Him. But anyway, that's what it means you'll be really close to God. Now, how do you get into the secret place? Well, uh, Psalms 31 tells us how to get into the secret place mentioned in Psalm 91. It's Psalms 31, 19 through 20. And I was going through a massive church split and slander attack back in 1996. And uh, I was in the prayer room trying to get through the crisis, and I read in the Bible, How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. You hide them in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of man. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. I cried out and said, Oh, God, that's what I need. That's what I need. Hide me in your secret place from the strife of tongues. Man, I was, five letters were sent out calling me an insane person and an idolater. And I got pro 
private. That was sent to all the congregations and my radio partners. I got private letters. I can say without fear of anybody contradiction, without fear of contradiction, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. The lady came in to have an appointment. She said, you don't have a relationship with anybody, not even God. Man, I was going through it. So I said, hide me in the secret places. I will if you'll stay out of it. Now, just a few months ago, and so I didn't say anything bad about the people saying bad about me. I thought, I'm going to stay out of it. And God kept me. And after I resigned and went on the evangelistic field, 200 adults were baptized in the Holy Spirit that first year out. And now I've seen over 3,000 filled with the Spirit, hundreds and hundreds of healing, many, many books out there. The, the crisis just hit me like a ball hit the bat, but it launched me. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So I got through that crisis, but then just a few months ago, I realized, hey, I think there's a connection here. I want to stay out of strife so I can be hidden in that secret place. How many of you know America's just rolling in strife? And you get on the internet and everybody's trying to outsmart the other guy and say something more snarky and more, more prickly than the other guy and put people down, right? It's the strife of tongues. And now, uh, you know, in our marriages, there can be somebody, can, you know, your husband or wife can say something that could make you mad, want to say something back that's not right. And just decide, you know what? I am not going to get in strife. See, because I think most Christians, we get in a secret place a little bit, and then we want to wave our hand out the window. <laughs> Stick our foot out the window. We want to jump out and play in strife a little bit, and then, oh, I better get back in. And, uh, and I think in the days that are coming, this is a spiritual strategy. We want to stay out of strife. <laughs> now, how many of you know those are three powerful spiritual strategies? Let's see if we can remember them. Can we remember what they were? We're going to... Brag on God, talk, I'm going to say talk miracles. And then let's not give God any disruption. And he'll be with us through the disruption. Amen. I think we're going to see great disruption in our money supply and in our energy sources and food supplies. So we better drink, 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 drink. God's whole body. Amen. And he'll be with us. But see, instead of fearing what's coming out there, we only need to be concerned about what we're doing. What we do supersedes what the devil does and what other people do. So if we'll abide in him, he'll abide in us. If we abide in him, his word abides in us, we'll be able to ask whatever we need. Amen. John 15, 7 to 8. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And then we're going to stay out of strife. Now, there's one scripture I didn't give you, but it says the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. That's 2 Timothy 2.24. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, and that they'll come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who's taken them captive to do as well. So we don't just be little mice and hide in the corner and let everybody, you know, if there's opponents, we've got to deal with things, but we've got to do it in the right attitude, not quarrelsome, kind to everyone, not resentful, gentle, gently instructive, in the hope, a positive attitude that they'll come out of it. 
and we're feeling sorry for them that they're gonna trap the devil. We wanna get them out of the trap. Because we know they'll be destroyed. It's 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. I have a book out there in my first book called The Heart God Hears. And in the 1970s, God called me to be an intercessor. Told me that I'd have to be the sweetest person in the church. And so he got me memorize sweet spirit verses like, do everything without arguing and complaining. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Now, I listed a hundred of those verses, the references in the back of that little book. What I didn't realize is that besides, see, because the Lord told me this will take away the things that hinder your prayers. And then you'll be like Jesus who said, Father, I know that you have heard me. I know you always hear me. And he wants, he's the heart God always hears. He wants to make us into his image so that we're the heart God always hears. And so a sweet spirit, if you want a Christ-like prayer life, you got to have Christ-like attitudes. And so we drink in the word to help us take captive the mad, bad, sad thoughts of the devil. Amen. What I didn't realize is besides helping me have an unhindered prayer life, that sweet spirit stuff would bring me out of strife and bring me into the sacred place of the Most High. Now let's lift our hands and let's tell the Lord we, we want to stay in there. We don't want to be running in and out. We don't want to use the secret place like a vacation house at the beach where we go there once in a while. But we want to abide there. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. All right. That was God's word, wasn't it? Thank you, Jesus. Now, I want to give you another message, and this one's illustrated. When I was 12 years old, well, I grew up on a cattle ranch. My sisters were 8 and 10 years older than me, and they moved into town to go to high school, and I didn't have anybody to play with. My nearest neighbor was 5 miles away, 5 years older than me. I had to make up imaginary games. The Presbyterian Church had given me a little New Testament in a box, and I had a letter from the minister when I was sprinkled in infant baptism. And uh, so I would open the box, get out the letter, read the letter, pretend I was getting a letter from Roy Rogers of the Lone Ranger. How many of you know I'm a pretty old guy? <laughs> All right, so uh, uh, one day I was 12, I was bored, I just went in, opened the box, took out the letter, and this strong voice said to me, you've read the letter a hundred times, but you've never read the book. You're a big boy now, it's time to read the book. And I didn't realize that was the Holy Spirit drawing me to him. I just thought that's a good idea, I've never read the book. So I took the book to school. I mean, most kids don't take the Bible to school, but I did. And in, in between my classes, uh, uh, I only had a one-room schoolhouse, uh, seven kids in eight grades out in the country. But anyway, when I'd get a break, I'd sit there and I'd read the New Testament in school. Now, I loved what I read about Jesus. I got through Matthew, Mark, Luke. But when I got to John 3, 3, he said, unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God, you'll, if not born of the Spirit, you'll never enter. I said, oh, oh, I'm in trouble. Because if I was born again, I'd know it. I don't know it. That means if I die, I'd go to hell. Jesus has been talking about hell. And uh, you know what he said about hell. Fiery furnace, uh, weeping, gnashing of teeth, not a drop of water, never a break. And so the, the, the Word of God uh, brought me into conviction and, and led me to Jesus Christ. Now, I would watch Billy Graham on television, and people would go forward to accept Christ. And I was certain that if I was at a Billy Graham uh, meeting that I could go forward and accept Jesus. But when I tried to accept him alone in the basement, I was really trying to get him to accept me. And that was backwards. I wasn't receiving him by faith. But thank God, 
God took me to a rancher's camp meeting where somebody preached like Billy Graham, gave a public invitation, and God just handed me the faith to get saved. He said, if you will believe Jesus is who he says he is, and you'll ask him to forgive you and come into your heart, then stand up, pray that prayer, then stand up as a public testimony that you've just received him. And there was the faith. Now, see, God's going to help us have faith, but once we get the faith in our heart, it has to be released in order to get the benefit from God. Amen? So he's going to coach us how to get the faith by revealing his will to us. All right? That's the main essence of faith is the knowledge of God's will. Like God was saying, I want to save you. Here's the drawbridge of heaven is lowered down. I want you to come right now. You may never have another opportunity. Another voice said you could do it later. You better put it off. Your parents are here. You're going to be embarrassed by what you do. Uh, and, but I didn't listen to that voice. Thank God. And uh, so I prayed the prayer. And then when I stood up to show that I had just received him, the Holy Spirit rushed into me. And I was filled with uh, what I call volcanic joy. And I believe I would have spoken in tongues if I had let this holy laughter come out. But praise Presbyterian. We never made a noise unless the bulletin told us what noise to make. We didn't make the noise. So, thank God for the word of God. Now, my Presbyterian pastor got a follow-up card, and he tried to talk me out of salvation. He said, you've been hanging around the Baptist too much. You'll outgrow this. You need to study psychology. The purpose of the church is to promote the arts. So I dropped out of church to stay saved. And I went five years, all through my teenage years, without any discipleship other than what I could get off the radio and what I could read in the Bible. And the devil really beat up on me. By the time I was a senior in high school, I was considering uh, suicide. I didn't want to kill myself, so I looking for some other alternative, and the thought came to me, I could run away and go insane. And you say, why would you have to run away to go insane? It's personal preference. It's the way I work. I don't like to go insane around anybody that knows me. So I was considering that. And then I thought, you know what? There's a third option, and that is to get a miracle from God. And that's when I began to read the Bible three hours a night. My mind would be so troubled, I couldn't do my homework until I read the Bible about three hours. And then I got hope, I got peace, and I pulled A's and B's with about one hour of study and a clear mind. And I went to Bible college just to pursue uh, getting whole, just pursue God. I hadn't ever intended to be a preacher, but I absolutely fell in love with the Word of God. Now, Jesus said, my words are spirit and their life. And the Spirit of God literally vibrates in the Bible. We may hear from God through prayer and the voice of God, or we may see an angel or a dream or a vision. The primary way that God communicates to us and the, the measure of everything else to know whether everything else is true or not is this written word of God. All right? And uh, the Bible says that to bind these words on your heart, fasten them around your neck when you walk, they'll guide you. When you wake up, they'll, uh, uh, they're going to they're gonna speak to you. They're going to guide you, guard you, and speak to you. Uh, to, to, to bind them on your heart means they control your inner attitudes and thoughts. Around your neck means uh, all your muscles are connected to your neck. So uh, when you bind them around your neck, it, it means the word is controlling all your outer activities. Amen? All right, so uh, now when I read the Bible, I use it like a catalog. And so when I see somebody have an experience with God, I say, I want one of those. I mean, that's what catalogs are for, so you can place... 
the order. You see something, say, I want one of those. That's the whole idea of the catalog. And that's what the Word of God is like. And God wants you to be hungry and thirsty. Amen? Don't just read about somebody else being used of God. Really, folks, listen, there's no difference between you and Elijah or you and Moses. The only reason young Mary or Gideon or any of the Bible heroes got faith is because God revealed his will to them. And then they latched onto it. Amen? And so when I read people like Isaiah, saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the Lord said, who shall go for us? And he said, oh, here I am. See, I said, oh, that sounds good. I'd like one of those. Now be hungry for God. How many of you know you can be hungry for God? Just be hungry for God. Lift your hand up and say, I can do that. I can be hungry for God. Absolutely. Get in the Bible and uh, and say, I want one of those. Now, Jesus is up at the order desk here, so he says, you want a John 3, 3 and an Acts 2, 4? <laughs> Great. We'll be happy to, sure, and it's free. How many of you know it? We... <laughs> Amen. Tabisha was praying for a lady at the dinner table yesterday as I walked through the room, and she was praying for her to be filled with the Spirit. I could feel fire in my hands, so I thought this looks like fun. Amen. And I just joined in, and that lady was baptized in the Holy Spirit. But who, who's the baptizer? Uh, Jesus Christ. Praise God. He wants to. He wants to answer our prayers. Thank you, Jesus. Now, here's a real important truth. A bullet contains explosive power of gunpowder. Now, the Word of God contains explosive power of faith because the Word of God contains a revelation of God's will. Now, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But the reason it comes by hearing by the Word of God is because the Word of God reveals the character of God, the power of God, and most importantly, the will of God. And when the Word of God reveals the will of God, God is naming it, then you can claim it. Amen? Say a big amen to that. That's the way it works. So you don't want to name it and claim it. That's pride cross-dressing as faith. You leave God out of it and say, I understand faith. I know how faith works. I'll just have the faith of God myself. I'll name it. I'll claim it. I tell people, that's demonic faith. No, you don't want that nonsense. That's what faith witches use. All you cultists believe in faith. But see, our faith is totally dependent on the revelation of God. Let's lift our hands up and say, Lord, I want the revelation of your will. When you name it, I'll be your faith partner. I'll claim it. If you're not naming it, I don't want it anyway. But see, the bullet ain't going to do no good unless it's in a gun. And God has prepared each of you to be a faith God. You are specially created to hold the word of God in your heart and release its explosive power through your tongue and corresponding action. All right. Now, here's a guy that moves into bear country. How many of you know if you're in bear country, you might want to keep a loaded gun? But he moves in on the devil's territory. Now, how many of you know the devil thinks this is his territory down here? When he appeared before God in the book of Job, God said, where'd you come from? He said, I'm from walking through the earth. And uh, and what did he mean by that? He was patrolling it as if it was his territory. Now, Adam didn't you know, give over his dominion to the devil, and so the devil became the god of this world. But Jesus bought it all back, and he gives dominion to us. But the devil still is trying to control it. 
Amen? Until yeah. he's thrown in the bottomless pit and then eventually into the lake of fire. Anyway, this pioneer's going to get in trouble. There's a big problem there. Bears, we use a bear to represent big problems. We don't hate bears, but we, okay. So uh, he's saying, I wish I had my bullets now. He's just saying, look, Mr. Bear, i got a real gun here. You better go away. Now, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean the devil's going to leave you alone. See, so he said, I'm, I'm a real Christian. I'm a real faith gun. Now, God created me to hold the explosive power of the word. And the devil said, yeah, well, you ain't got no word in you. Right, right. I'm preaching Betty's sermon. I'm going to go that. I'm just using different illustrations. <laughs> you're so full of the word, you're a bomb. Hallelujah. All right. Great. Great. Full of explosive power. Now, he got all beat up. You see there? You see there how the, how the nick is in his uh, cap there and his shoulder. He got beat up there. All right. But now he said he got it busy. He found more than the verse that says Jesus wept. I mean, you know, that's the shortest verse in the Bible. He had that one memorized. But now he's got a real bullet in the end of his gun. Now, how many of you know the bullet in the end of the gun ain't going to impress the bear? The big old problem is still there. And he's, Sean, I'm not interested in that. So head faith is like that. The bullet's supposed to go in the chamber of the gun. Now, how many of you know when it gets to the chamber of the gun, everything changes? That's right. Everybody say, everything changes. Everything changes then. Well, see, when it's head faith, you're going to get really badly beat up, and you're going to say, why didn't it work? Boy, am I discouraged. Now, the word of God's not going to fail. But you've got to realize it ain't going to release its explosive power unless it's in your heart. Jesus said, whatever you believe with your heart, believe that you have received it, it'll be yours. If you believe in your heart, you can command the mountain to remove it. How do you believe in your heart without doubt? Well, when you get a direct revelation of God's will, God is giving you the faith. And when you accept that, then you don't doubt in your heart because you absolutely know it's God's will. Amen. Then we can have the great victories. All right. Now, when I was a boy, my mom would make homemade popsicles. I was about five years old, and she would put Kool-Aid in the ice cube tray, put a toothpick in there, freeze them. And then I'd come in on a hot summer day, I'd get the little ice cube that was made out of Kool-Aid. And so one day I came in, and I wanted one, and Mom was out of Kool-Aid, and she only had ice cubes. So I was about five years old, she gave me an ice cube. Now, I had this big ice cube in my mouth. I was just a little guy. And uh, I was letting the cool water melt and go down my throat. I was trying to get as much satisfaction as I could out of that ice cube. And all of a sudden, it slipped. See, it slipped and bang and boom. I, I knew I was loaded with an ice cube. Amen. It slipped down my throat and thunk. I knew I was loaded. Amen. <laughs> now, this is how we get faith. See, we want to get a good verse out of the Bible, and we, know we, we, we want to meditate on that. Now, the Bible says, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it. Mm, suck the juice out of it, see. And, and you're not trying to even memorize it. You're just thinking, that is so good. See, now, example, Isaiah 64, 5. He comes to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember his ways. Say it out loud. He comes to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember his ways. I said, that's me. Now, wave your hand and say, he's coming to my help. He's coming. My 
see, now when that gets down in your heart, and you want to let the faith come out of your mouth, that's where you pull the trigger and say, he's coming to my help. I remember his ways. I gladly do right. It says right here in the word, he's coming to my help. Shut up, you lying devil. You're not getting, you're not, amen? Amen. All right. So that's, that's so important. Because if we miss that step, then we're pointing faith guns that have no bullet in the chamber. And we're concentrating on pulling the trigger. And you'll hear all kinds of sermons about confession and how important our confession is, which is true. But that's not the first step. And you don't want to get faith out of order. Just think, yeah, all i got to do is confess that I'm prosperous, confess that I'm healed, and confess that I'm a victor, and confess this and that. But do you just have that in your head, the bullet in the barrel, pulling the trigger, and it's going to go click, click, click. It's when you get it in your heart. Yeah. Now, I believe that he resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So we can't get real religious and think, man, i got more faith than everybody else. I'm a bigger faith person. Well, you got to stay humble. Because it takes the Holy Spirit's help to get the word from your head into your heart. But then when it goes in there, then he's going to coach you how to release it. All right. Okay. Now, when the bullet goes in the chamber of the gun, I used to do this sermon way back in 1980 with a real deer rifle and a real box of bullets. While I was teaching, nobody was nervous until I opened the chamber of the gun and put a bullet in there and it shut that thing. And then I said, now the only thing standing between us and a hole in the roof of your church is this little trigger. I said, how many of you are really nervous? The pastor waved his hand first, man. All the board, all the deacons, all the people, and me too. I was really nervous. So now I have drawings, and I don't I don't get so nervous. <laughs> how many of you know when you get loaded with the word, the devil is really nervous? And that's what I tell him. I said, that's the way the devil feels. Just like nervous like you are right now. You know that at any moment an explosion can happen. That's the way the devil feels when you get loaded with the word. Now, as long as we're not prideful and not just not religious. So when you get into the word, don't overlook the sweet spirit verses. I want a healing verse. I want a prosperity verse. I want a power verse. And God says, let your gentleness be evident to all. No, I want to skip that. Like, don't let any unwholesome talk about it. I'm going to skip that. I mean, God says, if you keep skipping in verses, I'm not going to help it slide down into the chamber. You gotta love my word. Let's lift our hands and tell the Lord we want to love the whole word of God. We want to honor your word. We want to believe it, but we want to do it. We're the doers of your word. Thank you, Jesus. Now, when the gun is loaded, then you can't wander all over the place. If the bear's coming at you, you better aim at the bear. And so Dr. Cho had a great uh, one. He's used this illustration many times. When he was a young pastor, he was slum, and he had no possessions, and he asked God for three things. He said, I'd like a table, a chair, and a bicycle. And God spoke to him and said, I've heard your prayer, granted your request. He began to rejoice and believe that he had it. See? But six months, something like that went by, and he didn't, he didn't have them. And he says, Lord, I heard you say that you granted my prayer, but I still don't have them, and I don't understand what's going on. The Lord said, there's just too many different kinds. You haven't been specific enough. <laughs> I don't know which kind to deliver to you until you clarify things. And so he said, well, then I want a table made out of Philippine mahogany. 
I want a bicycle made in America with gears, and I want an office chair with rollers. So just a few days later, an American serviceman was moving from an air base, I believe, in, uh, in South Korea, and needed help loading the truck. They hired Hung Cho to help load the truck, but three items wouldn't fit on the truck. A table made out of Philippine mahogany, an office chair with rollers, and a swift bicycle made in America with gears. And they gave them to Young Cho as his payment for helping load the truck. Now, since then, he's been able to believe God for millions of dollars in worldwide ministries. But how many of you know a lot of times we learn the lesson in, in a much smaller thing, and then God can apply it to a much bigger thing. But uh, we, we, we do have to take aim. So when Jesus said uh, to the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? If he had said, well, I have a headache, then Jesus would have healed his headache. But he let the Lord know what he was believing for. I want to receive my sight. Okay, now then you got to pull the trigger. Just remember, that's the fourth step. See, and if we, and now listen, how many of you know we're Americans? We want instant this and instant that, instant this with the microwave generation. See, and, and faith doesn't come that way. Faith is going to take a relationship between you and God where you wait on him and you suck the juice out of the word of God and you love it and then the Holy Spirit's going to graciously help verses go down into your spirit. Amen. And then you can aim and, and then you've got to release the faith. That's where you pull the trigger. Now, I don't know, you can, maybe, maybe you can't see the illustration. Fourth step there is, is pulling the trigger where faith speeds off. So uh, sometimes the Lord loads your faith kind of a direct revelation of his will. When I got into ministry, I left a thousand dollar a month job to, to go part time. Got five hundred for the mill, hundred dollars from the church. For that hundred dollars, I worked. I worked twenty five hours for the mill, forty hours for the church. Then I went full time for four hundred dollars, so I took a sixty percent cut. I got two raises. When I got the six hundred a month, the Lord spoke to me and said, "Why can't I give you a house?" I began to look for houses. I could only afford an acre of ground with a chicken coop on it in Dexter, Oregon. But I didn't get discouraged. I kept looking. One night, God downloaded into me in the loudest voice I've ever heard it. Uh, it boomed out of my chest, actually. And he said, you're going to be moving in right across the street, and money's not going to be any problem. And I immediately ran to the window, pointed across the street to a two-bedroom house with a three-car detached garage and three-quarters of an acre surrounded by cedar trees that created a privacy hedge, two little outbuildings. And I said, I'm going to be moving in right over there. Money's not going to be any problem. All my friends laughed and told me that was impossible. It didn't faze me a bit. I knocked on the lady's door the next morning, big grin on my face. Lady, God told me to buy your house. This is for sale. She said, we're thinking about selling it. She sold me around. She said, I said, what will you take? I said, she said, $22,500. This is 1975. I says, well, I'll buy it. She says, what can you put down? I said, I got a trailer house paid off. And we bought it for $3,500. We can probably sell it for that. And you said, it's a down payment. She says, well, what do you have right now? I said, I only got $50. She says, let's write up an earnest money with your $50. So I tied up the property with $50. Now, three months went by, and my trailer house would not sell at $3,500 a month. And she called me and said, I can't keep this house off the market much longer. For just $50, you're going to have to do something. She talked like that. And as soon as we hung up, the devil began to yammer, yammer, yammer. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. I said, shut up, you land devil. I raised the price of a trailer house $500 and I sold just like that. <laughs> <laughs> then by that time, we got a, I got raised to $700 a month. 
and we got a loan, and we got bought that house and lived in it four and a half years, sold it for fifty thousand dollars, and cashed out when interest rates were twenty one and a half percent under Jimmy Carter. But see, however it comes, whether it's direct through faith, which is direct revelation of God's will, that, that gave me faith. But same principle, amen? All right, now one time uh, the Lord, I said, how many can we have on our buses in one month if we pulled out all the stops? He said, you could have 300 more. We were bringing in 200 kids every Sunday. So I pulled the trigger on that, baby. We had some promotions, and in one month we had 535 souls riding those buses. And they stayed. They stayed that year. And for the next three years, we never went under 500 a month in the buses. We would eventually visit 1,200 kids a week, brought in five to 600. But after that experience, I thought, I know how faith works. I'm going to name a 1,000. We're going to bring in a 1,000. I'll pull all the same levers. I ran promotions. We had 810. Came into a little town of 80 people in Persian Oregon. We brought in 810, but we didn't get to a and I realized the difference between when God names it and you name it. Come on. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I want to come to, I'm beginning to close. I try to keep that secret how many closings I have. Kind of a trade secret. So never, never let people know. But I have some verses I'd like to give to you that just load into your faith bill. These are from the Passion Translation. And I just this morning wrote them down just for you. All right. Um, yeah, Isaiah 30, 18 through 21 in the Passion Translation. For this reason, the Lord is still waiting to show his favor to you so he can show you his marvelous love. He waits to be gracious to you. He sits on his throne ready to show mercy to you. For Yahweh is a God of justice faithful to keep all his promises, now listen to this, overwhelmed with bliss are all who will entwine their hearts in him, waiting for him to help them. Let's say that out loud, overwhelmed with bliss. Say it out loud, overwhelmed with bliss are all who will entwine their hearts in him. Let's lift up our hands and see, that can go quickly into your faith gun, the chamber of your heart. Overwhelmed with bliss. Are we going to be trampled under by the problems? Well, no, the Bible says we're going to be overwhelmed with bliss if we'll entwine our hearts with Him. Isn't that a wonderful verse? Okay, so you write down the reference. I'm going to quote it from the Passion Translation. Now, another scripture. Um, thank you, Jesus. As we continue that, that was verse 18, but through 21, it says, uh, 30, 18 through 21, um, how compassionate he will be when he hears your cries for help. He will answer you when he hears your voice. Even though the Lord may allow you to go through a season of hardship and difficulty, he himself will be there with you. He will not hide himself from you, for your eyes will continually see him as your teacher. When you turn to the right or the left, you'll hear his voice behind you to guide you, saying, this is the way, this is the right path, follow it. All right, here's another one. Isaiah 33, 6. He will be your constant source of stability in changing times. Amen. And out of his 
his abundant love, he gives you the riches of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. Yes, the fear of the Lord is the key to these treasures. Here's another one, Isaiah 33, 22. The Lord Yahweh is our judge, our lawgiver, and king. He will save you completely. And then verse 23 of Isaiah 33. Then there will be great plunder, such an abundant treasure divided that even the lame will seize their rich share. Jesus' victory on the cross so completely defeated the devil. Hallelujah, that even the lame and the cripple can say, Hallelujah, he won the victory, he brought all the healing. I'm claiming my share. Hallelujah, I get to share the plunder with Jesus. Come on, let's lift our hands and praise God. Hallelujah. What a great victory to have God in human form. Become our guilt offering. Bear our sicknesses and pains. Carry away our sin. Let me say this. Uh, I have probably one or two more verses to give you, but uh, I want to interject this. Please, as leaders, never, never say, now you need to forgive yourself. Never tell somebody, now you need to forgive yourself. And anytime you hear somebody saying, I'm struggling trying to forgive myself, Say, stop that. That's the devil's doctrine. God went to a lot of trouble to provide you forgiveness. He became a man. Imagine that. God became a man. Lived a sinless life. Died on the cross. Rose from the dead for your justification. Nailed the charges of your debt to the cross, the Bible says. Removed your sin as far as east is from the west. And says that he erased your, your record of sin from the record books of heaven. Now, can you do that? Can you provide a blood sacrifice that's perfect? Of course not. Can you erase your guilt from the books of heaven? No. So what's the devil doing when he's saying, now you need to forgive yourself. See, he's tricking you. Because your sins are gone. They're forgiven. You, instead of forgiving yourself, need to rejoice and share the plunder. Jesus won the victory. Hallelujah. Come on. Jesus won the victory. So you celebrate your forgiveness and you don't cooperate with the devil condemning yourself. But see, if you say, well, now I've got to forgive myself, then you're going to spin your wheels. Because now the devil gets to bring it up. He gets to keep bringing it up. Keep bringing it up. Keep bringing it up. You just sink deeper and deeper in self-condemnation. You know what? Somehow that got into the whole body of Christ. Yes. Everywhere I go, I hear people talking about, I'm going to forgive myself. Some people say, your book helped me forgive myself. I don't make you want to scream. <laughs> <laughs> no, my book helps you celebrate the forgiveness that Jesus did for you. You can't improve on it. You can only mess things up. But you can, I know what you mean when you say forgive. You, you really mean you need to stop condemning yourself. But see, if you remember and celebrate, he removed my sins far as east from the west. He nailed that debt to the cross. He paid the debt. He rose from my justification. And he offered a perfect blood sacrifice that I could never do. Only he could blot out the record book of heaven and blot out my sin. Another verse says he'll make it disappear like a mist. That's right. Yes. Oh, hallelujah. So as leaders, will you, uh, will you help fix that in the body of Christ? Yes. Don't let the devil rob glory from Jesus by saying, now you need to do your little self-help bit. Hallelujah. Wave your hand to God and say, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for the blood sacrifice. Thank you for canceling my debt. Thank you for making it disappear. 
Praise God. Now, what are we doing? Well, our faith guns got loaded there when we read about the victory of Jesus. Amen? And then when we go to pray for the sick, let's remember that Jesus won such a great victory. There's such a great plunder that even the lame can seize the plunder. close, although you don't believe me. Uh, Isaiah 44, 25 is the one that says, yes, I am the one, the only who completely erases your sins never to be seen again. I will not remember them again. Write down Isaiah 44, 25. See? And he's the one and the only one who completely erases your sins. recently that has been a great comfort to me. John 17, 26. And Jesus was praying and he says, I have made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And I realized that when Jesus, that just of years, I'm like Aunt Betty, you know what I've done with the word is for years I would listen to it on cassette tape as I drove the car and I get through the Bible four times a year. And then I have it on my smartphone, so I like to listen to the Bible while I drive the car. And I drive about 30 to 40,000 miles a year, so I can get a lot of Bible. But I like to get up, I like to learn, I learn to go to bed early, go to bed about uh, between 8 and 9, then I wake up between 4 and 5, and I have at least three hours to spend with the Lord. And I like to have a cup of coffee, sit in an easy chair, soak up the Bible, have about five translations there, and uh, a pen. And a bookmark to underline things, and then I just, uh, I just uh, enjoy the word. My spiritual popsicle, amen. I'm sucking the juice out of the word. I'm letting it go down in me. And then after a while, I feel like praying. I'm ready to release faith and have a good time in prayer. So one of the things I've learned is uh, over the years is it really helps to go to bed early and not waste the late hours of the night. And save them for the Lord in the morning. Praise the name of Jesus. Amen. So here's the deal. Jesus said, I'll reveal your name. Now, when he revealed the name, he didn't use a chalkboard and say, now the name Jehovah Jireh means that he's going to provide. And then the name, you know, the Hebrew name means the Lord is your healer. And he didn't just give a Hebrew and Greek lesson. He demonstrated yes. by multiplying the loaves and fishes. By healing all that were sick. And so when it says, I have revealed your name to them, and then he says, to our generation, to us, and I will continue to make it known. Now, thank God, see, that's going to comfort you. It's going to go down into your spirit, into your faith gun. When worry and fear tries to come, you're going to say, well, you know what? Jesus is going to continue to make his name known. And when he makes it known, it's an object lesson. And it's not something on the chalkboard. It's a miracle. Let's lift our hands. That's the end of my sermon. Let's worship him. And would you tell the Lord you want to be, uh, abide in his word and have his word abide in you? You want to abide in him, actually. Abide in him and have his word abide in you. And then we don't just want all these miracles so we can be the grandest tiger in the jungle. But he said, I will continue to make your name known that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. I used to just be entertained by the anointing when anointing would come through me to heal people. I thought
thought it was so wonderful, so entertaining to feel flashes of like of power going through my feet. In fact, hundreds of people healed and put my feet on them. Power jumped out of my feet. But the last few years, it's been so good to feel the love of God for people. Just to love them, care for them, pray for them, see them get their healings, and, and have their broken hearts healed, and teach them how to receive forgiveness and not be under the condemnation of the devil. Let's lift our hands up and say, Lord, beside all the, the miracles and all that stuff, Lord, we want to be filled with your love for one another, your love for people, and love for you. And we'd like you to just turn us into love. Turn us into love. Everybody say in Jesus' name. Praise God.
drug busters all over Texas and all over where the people are coming in. I am praying now that God would send preachers, evangelists to get these people as they come in and get them all saved to go and send them to every state. So send these new ones that you have brought in, this will eventually seem to go right down on the borders and get them all saved as they come across. Amen. Now the thing I'm asking you, are you in agreement? Do you believe that God give us the rule and the power to make decisions in his stead on this earth? They'll say, well, it's up to God. No, it's not. God's church does his work. They are spirits. We have a body. They don't have a spirit. I mean, they don't have a body. And they use our bodies to establish the things and the rule on this earth. And we need to be doing it, church. We need to be doing it. We need to be doing it big. But I believe this, and I act on this, and I do this. And you can, too. Listen to this. They brought me on the biggest rock show in Fort Lauderdale. Because my story was written, some hundred couple come down and did about a week of me on television in my story. So they went out and checked and seen there was no more girly shows. All these places I said I'd go. So they asked me would I come on the biggest rock station and would I stop the girly shows in Fort Lauderdale that all the rich people was moving out because it's bringing in prostitution and robbing and stuff and it's getting scared. So they brought me on the rock show. And he was sort of, see, anytime they try to interview you, they try to make you look bad. If you're a Christian and you used to be, you know, something else. And so he's acting real smart like to me about what I've done. So we know you did it because we followed you to see what you said was the truth. And we want you to do it up here. I said, all of a sudden I heard the scripture and Satan fell from hell pride. And I wasn't being put up. I started crying. And I took him back. I said, God, I would be in hell this many years if you hadn't forgiven me. And I thank you that you forgive me of that place. I'm the one that knows what it feels like to be shown. I'm the one that knows what it feels like to walk out there. You want to make money to feed your family. And you don't aren't educated in business. You're trying to make a living. And you're the one that went through all of that. And people treat you like a dog. You understand what I mean? That's what I seen. And I started crying and thanking God for saving me. And then I took that mic with the full power of God. And I cursed every legal accident in Fort Lauderdale. The next day, the newspaper said, Judge ruled no more liquor license in any girly shows in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. They passed it. I got a call and said, Lady, if you don't want to have be found in the ocean, with a cinder block on your neck, you quit doing things like this. I said, oh, devil, I made you mad, didn't I? <laughs> you 
whatsoever you bind on earth, he said, I will bind in heaven. With you, Jesus Christ is binding what you are. Do not permit. I don't permit the devil to come and take my things. Amen. I don't permit him to come into my city and take over my city. Do you understand? And you've got to do this. And you've got to train your congregation to do this. As you do, God is going to bless your thoughts off, I'm telling you. Amen. God's good. I'm sat there. Now, I want to brag a bit of what I said. If the Word of God is bullets or whatever, like you said, and I played that Bible all those 50 years. I am a comic bomb. <laughs> I'm probably new. <laughs> Don't you love it? You know what? I didn't show you the rest of my Bible. Uh, so, anyway, see there? The, the machine gun. Yes. That's when some of the problems need more than one bullet. Yeah. And uh, when I got into ministry, uh, I thought we'd have kids because I had one bullet with my faith gun. Thus shall the man be blessed. The fears of the Lord, his wife will be like a fruitful vine within his house, the children like olive plants around his table. But six years went by and Bonnie couldn't get pregnant. She had a tipped uterus and endometriosis. And little bus kids, hundreds of little kids would hug my leg and say, I wish you were my daddy. They'd do the same thing to Bonnie. I wish you were my mommy. And, and we were really hurting. And so the devil said to me, it's in the Bible, but it doesn't work for you. Therefore, you have no right to preach the word. Get out of the ministry. You know what I did? I thought, then I'm going to find every single verse in the Bible about children. And I began to load my faith gun like a machine gun. Wow. And at the same time as I was studying prosperity verses, because I was getting ready to go off salary and travel as an evangelist. And one day I found a verse in Deuteronomy 28 that says, if you obey the Lord, he'll make you abundantly prosperous in the fruit of your womb. And I felt it go down like that ice cube. I felt it land in here. And I knew I was loaded. And then the Holy Spirit says, now go through, tell three people to be your witness that you and Bonnie are going to have your own child. Yeah. So I got three men. I said, I want you to be my witnesses. God told me we're going to have our own child. And I released that faith. And we have two beautiful daughters. We have uh, three grandsons, one granddaughter, and another grandson on the way. Yeah. I didn't finish the message, but I might as well just quickly finish it. Uh, if you only read the internet and all the news, then you're getting uh, www.bearalerts.org. So the internet may let you know how many bears they are, what they feel like, and whether they're coming your way. Amen. But it won't tell you how to get faith. Now, Satan has his bullets, so he wants to give you his thoughts, have you meditate on them until they get down in your heart, and then have you release the fear with your mouth so you become a fear gun. And that's what the ten spies did, where Joshua and Caleb were faith guns. The ten other spies were fear guns, shot the whole congregation with unbelief, created a mass suicide scene. And here's the policeman saying it looks like a murder-suicide, and if if you can see the illustration that says the, the mouth that spoke unbelief, the heart that doubted, the eyes that saw failure, and over here, Satan's uh, bullets. Satan's bullets. Yes. All right, so we remember we can uh, we can do both. Now, ladies, I put a lady in here so you know, uh, not just men, amen? I want, uh, want the ladies to run off the college too. 
All right, and then remember, there's faith in the promises. There's also faith in the commands. So when Jesus says, go into all the world, preach the good news to all creation, there's tremendous amount of faith in that. He's going to be with us to do that. And then we won't be selfish with our faith. Uh, we'll believe for multitudes of other people around the world to be blessed. That's the end, all right? Well, I just want to encourage any of you and anybody who might be seeing this live and or in the future. Uh, there's a real uh, impartation with uh, what God has given West. I just love the illustrations. It's really simple to understand. But there's an impartation with it as well. Uh, and I don't want to take away from everything else. But uh, there's uh, there's a tremendous, uh, I think your, your, uh, your prize is on forgiveness. It's powerful, absolutely powerful. And I would invite him to anybody that uh, is an overseer of a church and or a group of people, uh, just a home fellowship, anybody grab a, a group of people and have West come out. Um, he'll forgive us as we forgive others. And that is powerful. So forgiveness is just incredible. So thank you, Wes. Well, for all those that have watched this morning, blessings. We'll be back again at 7 o'clock tonight. This is Thursday already. See, you know, we just got to slow it down. The Lord, you know, the kingdom advancing, and we seize it. You know, we gotta, you got to seize every moment, every night. Write the, the uh, scriptures down, rehearse it, and love one another. So blessings to all. We'll see you back again at 7 o'clock tonight. Amen.